0: Last week I referred to it as the greatest sermon ever preached, and DJ again reminded me that it was not my sermon. Uh, But the sermon that I was talking about was Jesus' sermon, which we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded for us by Matthew and Luke in their respective Gospels. Uh, you, You remember Matthew's account of this great sermon is the more full account And Jesus began by giving to us a recipe for happiness. But as we read through those Beatitudes, as we call them, we find that it is quite a different recipe than what the world would prescribe. And and I mentioned this to you last week. If the world was telling us how to find happiness, it would read something like this. Happy are the rich. Happy are those who have acquired lots and lots and lots of stuff. Happy are those who come home with the big bird. <laughs> you go hunting and you get what you're hunting for, you're happy over that. Happy are the healthy And this recipe for happiness could just go on and on and on. But you notice it is a recipe that is based on temporary circumstances. As long as things are going your way, then your happiness soars. But if the circumstances turn sour, then your happiness disintegrates. And my point from all of this is the world is ignorant on how to attain true happiness. And lasting happiness. Jesus on the other hand. He knows. How to attain. Lasting happiness. And he gives to us. A recipe for happiness here. In these first few verses. Of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew, uh, verse 3. He says happiness is gained. By being poor in the spirit. That means we realize. That we have no goodness. In and of ourselves. Our goodness comes from God. To be poor in spirit means that we are not all about ourselves; rather we are all about Him. And we know that we need Him desperately. Verse 4 of Matthew chapter 5, he said this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now that seems strange that, that this would be included in a recipe for happiness he 's saying "Happy or the sad, and to the world that sounds so strange it's, it just doesn 't make sense, and yet you realize Jesus has a different mindset than what the world has, and he knows how to have happiness, how to have this joy that 's based not just on the temporal circumstances that we are in but there rather. It's based on a relationship that we have with Him. He said, really what He's talking about here when He's saying blessed are those who mourn, He's saying this, happy are those who realize that that they have a sin problem. And they're broken over their sin, and they confess their sin to God, and they ask Him to forgive them. Those are the ones who will be comforted, Jesus said. And I asked you last week, when was the last time you mourned? Over your sin, and for some of us, it, it, we'd probably have to say it's been too long since I mourned over my sin. We need to take our sin more seriously. Know this for sure: God takes our sin seriously. It's the reason that His Son Jesus died on the cross. Next, Jesus said this: "Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit." the earth if you want to be happy then seek to be gentle have your strength under control don't feel like you have to have the last say don't be one who who has this idea of its my way or the highway see the gentle person is one who is thoughtful he's tender he's courteous it doesn't mean he's weak it means he has his temper and his tongue under control. Wouldn't it be nice to be married to a gentle man? Wouldn't it be nice to be married to a gentle woman? Wouldn't it be nice to have a gentle boss? The, the tension level in the home or in the workplace would go from here to here. If there were more gentleness being practiced, we'd all be happier. We who have the Spirit of Christ living in us should be gentle. Matthew 5, 6, and we talked about this last week too. All of this is just a review. We're catching up with what we talked about last week, this recipe for happiness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's easy to hunger and thirst after other things. But only Jesus and His righteousness is what gives to us lasting satisfaction. And then we we talked about this too, that we need to keep on thirsting for Jesus and His righteousness. We need to keep on hungering for his righteousness. And the beautiful thing is as we continue to have this hunger and thirst for righteousness, then he fills us over and over and over again. Let's move on here as we That's what we talked about last week, those four beatitudes. We have four more beatitudes to look at today and I want to cover each of them. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, Jesus continues this thought of what is is it that brings happiness to us? What is it that brings true joy to us? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The word merciful encompasses a lot. If somebody offends you, you are being merciful by offering forgiveness to them, opposed to having a grudge Against them. Now, now we, we want God to be merciful to us, don't we? Why wouldn't we be merciful to somebody else and offer forgiveness to them? I ran across this verse this last week in my study, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. It says, the merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. Think about that. Read that over again to yourself. Do you want to be miserable? Do you want to be miserable? Then hold a grudge against somebody. Be be unwilling to extend forgiveness to that person. Just let that grudge grow. Let it fester. Feed it. And you are guaranteed to be miserable. On the other hand, though, if you want to be happy, if you want to have true joy, if you want to be blessed, then offer mercy to that person who has offended you. So, so get it straight in your mind. If you withhold forgiveness, you bring harm upon yourself. But on the other hand, if you offer forgiveness, you're bringing a blessing upon yourself. After all the Bible says so clearly about forgiveness, why would any of us choose not to forgive? We're only hurting ourselves, and we cannot be forgiven by God if we do not extend forgiveness to our offender. But know this, mercy encompasses a whole lot more than just forgiveness. Mercy responds to people who are in need. Mercy was the driving force behind the good Samaritan who stopped to help his Jewish neighbor that was hurt alongside of the road. John MacArthur put it this way about mercy. He said, mercy is seeing a man without food and giving him food. Mercy is seeing a person begging for love and giving him love. Mercy is seeing someone lonely and giving him company. Mercy is meeting the need, not just feeling it. So how are you doing at meeting people's needs? At showing mercy to people? Certainly there are lots of needs around us. All we have to do is open our eyes and open our hearts and and Jesus will show us people who are in need. The question is, will we take the time to meet those needs? Will we put forth the effort to meet those needs? Will we be merciful to those people? You think about Jesus' life here on this earth. He showed mercy to people in his earthly ministry. He opened the eyes of the blind he raised the lame to walk. He touched the leper and healed him. He saw the embarrassment of the wedding party. Do you remember that? They'd run out of wine. And so he had his servants, had the servants there fill the water jars Uh, with water and he changed the water into wine he met their need and then there was the widow in luke chapter 7 whose only son had just died jesus stopped the funeral procession and he touched the coffin the scripture says and he spoke these words young man i say to you arise and verse 15 of that chapter says and the dead man sat up and began to speak and jesus gave him back to his mother he was merciful to that woman He saw a need, and he met the need. And so, too, we need to be merciful to those people who are around us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me ask you this question about that verse. Who is it that we're going to receive mercy from? Well, just know this. The answer to that question is God. Just look around you and you will see that the merciful do not always receive mercy from the world. In fact, sometimes it's just the opposite. Sometimes the merciful are crucified. Sometimes the merciful are stepped on and taken advantage of by the world. But the merciful will receive mercy from God. Rest assured of that promise. He will balance the books. In fact, He will do better than that. He will bless us way beyond what we have been a blessing to others. Let's look at verse 8 of chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to be happy? You want to see God? Then seek to be holy. But understand, you cannot make yourself holy. That's where the Pharisees were so wrong. They thought if they could keep all of their rigid rules and regulations, then they would be holy people. So their, their focus was more external than internal. Internal. And Jesus had some things to say about that. He said, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. He said this too, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He said, the thing you need to do is clean the inside first, and then the outside will... will be taken care of. And you and I have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap. And DJ even spoke of this in his own testimony. It's easy for us to have our own list of rules and regulations, and if we think that we can keep those rules, then we're going to be holy people. And Think with me what that list might be for you and I. You know, if if I go to church, if I've been baptized, if I read my Bible and pray, and if I take care of my family, if I pay my bills on time, if I'm a good moral person, if I'm a good neighbor, if I give to the United Way and, and I give my blood to the Red Cross, if I don't get drunk and I, I don't smoke or do drugs, then then surely God is going to look at me as a holy person. Well, what's the difference between that list and the list that the Pharisees had? The only difference that I can see between those two lists would be that our list is a 21st century list, and they had a 1st century list. But it's really the same kind of list, that that if we abide by the rules, if we keep the regulations that we put upon ourselves, then God's going to see us as a holy person. And I think Jesus would like to say the same thing to us that he was saying to the Pharisees. Clean up the inside of the dish first and the outside then will be taken care of. Please understand, we can never do enough good deeds to earn for ourselves a clean heart. Our basic nature is a sin nature. We have all fallen short. Of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. Says Romans 3.23. Our heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. Says the prophet Jeremiah. According to Isaiah. Our sin has made a separation between us and God. And there isn't anything that we can do. To to bridge that gap and gain for ourselves a pure heart. The only way that we can bridge that gap is through Jesus Christ. That we would put our faith in Him. Let Let me read for you from this book by John MacArthur as he's written on the Beatitudes. It's called The Only Way to Happiness. I read from it several times last week. I have some quotations for you this week as well. This is what he says on being holy, or having a pure heart. He says when he, died, when he, speaking of Jesus, died on the cross, he took the sin that was accounted to us and paid all the penalty. The Bible says he then imputed his righteousness to us. It's a fantastic exchange. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and God looks at us, he sees us Pure. No, Under no other condition does he see us that way. Once we have Jesus in our heart, we are made pure in him. And then all of those good deeds that I mentioned to you in that previous list, we should want to do those things. But our motivation is different. We don't do them to gain salvation. Rather, because we are saved, we want to please Him. We want to honor Him with our life. And so, we do those things in His name and to His glory. Want to be happy? Then seek a pure heart through Jesus. And not only will you find happiness, but Jesus says, You will see God. I must mention to you as well if you have a pure heart it will be evidenced by the way you live. You'll be careful what you're watching on TV. You'll be careful about what you're looking at on the internet. It will be evidenced by your moral purity and your unwillingness to compromise your integrity in any way. Jesus said, Blessed, happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I think he's talking about there, yes, we'll see God at the end of time. We will be with him forever, and we will see him face to face. But I think, too, he's saying, the one who has a pure heart will see him here. We will see him daily. We will see him showing up in our life, and he'll be guiding us and directing us every step of the way. Let me read to you verse 9, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What do we ever need peace in our hearts, don't we? And in our world, in our country. Just take a look at the news this last week, and you see the absence of peace. You see how... How the world just is desperate need of peace. The war in Afghanistan continues to go on and and soldiers are being killed. The, The threats coming from North Korea are very disturbing. And can easily steal away our peace. I thought it was interesting. I was reading this last week. That the United Nations was established in 1945. Just after World War II had been completed. And and do you know the motto of the United Nations? Let me read it to you. It was established on this motto. To have succeeding generations free from the scourge of war. And I don't know that there's been a day since its establishment that there has been peace on this earth. Mankind has a very hard time living in peace with each other. And Then we've seen what's happened in Boston this last week. And again, our sense of peace can be stolen away from us so quickly and the verbal wars that continue to go on in Washington between the two political parties it's it's wearisome to us and, but the lack of peace is not just way out there far away it's right here close to us as well all we have to do is look at our local paper and we see the evidence that in our own community peace is a rare commodity bottom line is, so many people lack peace in their hearts, and as a result of that, the lack of peace shows up all around us, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, our marriages, shows up in the workplace, and much To Satan's liking, it even shows up in our churches. We're just pretty good at being at odds with each other. Let me read to you again from what John MacArthur says about this topic. I remember reading the story of a couple arguing back and forth in a divorce hearing. Their four-year-old boy was teary-eyed watching the conflict. According to the article, he took his father's hand, then his mother's hand, and kept pulling until he pulled the two hands together. He became a peacemaker. And in a sense, that's what Christ did for us. He provided the righteousness that allows man to take the hand of God. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus Christ was able to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. The cross made peace. Though there was no peace at the cross, it was a chaotic scene. But the cross provided the righteousness that alone makes real peace. Hear this. The answer to the world's peace problem, is Jesus. And if you have a lack of peace in your own heart, then you need to look to Jesus because He is the Prince of Peace. He said in John sixteen thirty three, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You cannot have peace without Jesus being in your heart. It's impossible. But if you have Jesus already in your heart, then what you need to be doing is looking for those around you who don't have him, who are lacking peace in their life, and share with them. Jesus. Share with them the Prince of Peace. That's the greatest way that you can become a peacemaker is becoming a personal evangelist for Jesus. That's being a peacemaker. And then, of course, there is that aspect of being a peacemaker between men. Sometimes you may need to be the one who goes and helps bring peace between two, per, two people who are at odds with each other. Or maybe you are at odds with someone. And may, maybe maybe you, you don't feel like you're the instigator of that, but you know that person is at odds with you. And, and Jesus says, before you give your offering at the altar, go your way and make peace with your brother who is at odds with you. And Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We can't dictate that other person's response towards us, but we can sure make sure that our own response is pleasing to God. Blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers. Notice he didn't say, Happy are the troublemakers. He didn't say, happy are the gossips and slanderers. He said, happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let me read to you verses 10 through 12 of this great sermon that Jesus preached. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And what I'm about to say to you is rather convicting to all of us. This beatitude, number eight beatitude, is based on our living out the first seven beatitudes. Let me read from MacArthur again. When the world runs into Christianity, there is always conflict, conviction, Guilt, resentment, persecution. If you function according to the first seven principles and the Beatitudes, inevitably you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says it again on the next page. We will get along terrifically if nobody ever finds out that we are Christians. But as we begin to live the Christ life, as we begin to manifest the Beatitudes, as we live righteously in the world, we will find that the sons of the flesh will always persecute the ones born of the Spirit. Is that convicting? Where is our persecution? Maybe we're not being persecuted for our faith because our faith isn't real enough. It isn't shining brightly as it needs to. Jesus said this in John fifteen eighteen: If the world hates you, You know that it had hated me before it hated you. Paul said to Timothy, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do people know that you're a Christian? Are you witnessing and standing up for the faith? If you are then probably you're going to be rubbing people the wrong way from time to time. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying in any way that we should be trying to just be a troublemaker and, and rub people the wrong way everywhere we go and where we're constantly in a, in a tussle with people. But, but as we stand up for righteousness, as we let the words of Jesus ring forth from our lips, there's going to be times... We rub people the wrong way, and they're not going to like us, and they won't always speak well of us. And if people are always speaking well of you, maybe maybe you need to take a look at your witness and, and your life. and are, are you being that much different than the world? Or are you just blending in? God has not called us to blend in with the world. He's not called us to talk like the world talks. He's not called us to think like the world thinks. He's called us to be different. And when we are different from the world, then we, through the Holy Spirit, become very convicting to the world. And the world doesn't like it. And sometimes the world will react against us. And did you notice there's a double blessing for the one who is persecuted? All the other Beatitudes that we've looked at to this point, they have a single blessing. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But for this, this last Beatitude... Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the one who's, who's receiving insults, and, and people are casting insults against you. There's a double blessing for the one who is persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Do you think maybe we should pray for persecution? I don't know. (laughs) That's a hard prayer to pray. And I don't know that I'm ready to pray for that prayer. I, I I don't know that I'm ready to pray that prayer yet. Lord, I want persecution. But maybe what we should pray is that we would be more serious about our faith. And if persecution comes as a result of that, then so be it. And we simply know that God will be with us, and He'll carry us through. There isn't anything so difficult that He can't be there to get us through it. And we see that with our brothers and sisters in India, as we hear stories of just unbelievable stories of endurance through persecution. There's nothing that the world can bring against us that we can't stand underneath it with Jesus' help. And there's no time that our light shines brighter than when the world is persecuting us and we are standing true to Him. Know this. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, says the Apostle Paul. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Oh God. Help us to buy into your recipe for happiness. And Lord, help us to recognize the world's lies of what they're saying happiness and includes. Help us, Lord. To be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray.